Welcome to the Trinity Western Chapel podcast. As a vibrant part of life at TWU, Chapel creates opportunities for us to engage with God's story of redemption in Jesus Christ through His Word, prayer, and worship. We're glad you're listening and hope that you encounter God's heart for you and the world. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Hello, Trinity Western. It is good to see you again. My name is Dr. Temple Smith, and I live here in Holland. And I am thrilled to be joining you today. And we are going to examine James chapter 3, 13 through 18. I am a sociologist, zealous doer of the word, expository teacher of the gospel, possessing the ability to examine scripture, present plainly its meaning and what it says and how it applies to our lives. The word of God is intended to offer guidance the instruction for living uh, and living the life God intended for us in which Christ died for. And so I'm excited today to get into this passage. It is one of my favorites, and we are going to look at it plainly. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to examine this passage carefully. We want to create a linear path for direct application to our lives. After today, you'll have the language to articulate and deepen your prayers Regarding this passage, you will have uh, time to think about this and apply this in a way where you can determine what do you need to further explore? What do you need to become spiritually inquisitive regarding? What matters do you need to bring to God in prayer? So you need a pen. Get yourself a pen and some paper. Get a pen and some paper. Get yourself some pen and some paper. You want to get into this with us today and examine this in such a way that you're able to go back and reflect. So I want to admonish you. I want to encourage you to get yourself a pen and a paper. If you don't have it right now, you can get up, go get it, find a pen and a paper so that you can make yourself a concise reference applicable for you written by you, heard by you. So I'm gonna wait just a second. You can get yourself a pen and some paper if you don't already have one. And I want us to pray. Some of you are probably getting back. You have your pen, you have your paper, great. Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you for your many gifts given to us. God, you told us in the word that if any of us lack wisdom, we could come to you and ask for it and you would give it to us liberally without finding fault. So God, we put you in remembrance of your word and we ask for that. God, give us the wisdom that comes from you, wisdom that creates clarity in the way that we think, wisdom that is a rebuke to the adversary, a rebuke that casts down wicked imaginations, other thoughts, 
stirrings that take us away from the life, the plan, and will of God. We thank you for such wisdom, and we receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So James chapter 3, 13 through 18, talks about two kinds of wisdom. In fact, that is the title in this passage, Two Kinds of Wisdom. We're going to read this now. So let's read this, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So James is really giving us a full picture of two different kinds of wisdom and the consequences for the activation of those types of wisdom. So he begins here, and this is where you can begin to take some notes because we're going to look at this very carefully and we'll go line by line so we can really get a full, rich, deep understanding of precisely what James is saying and its fruitfulness and utility in our lives. So he goes on and he starts here. He says, um, who is wise and understanding among you? What a question. Who do you perceive as wise? Examine your life. Think about it now. People you know, people you're related to, friends, mentors, who do you perceive as wise? What in their behavior or temperament indicates this for you? James starts off asking us this question. Who among you is wise? Who is wise and understanding among you? We're living in a day and time where memes offer advice, viralized images and sayings, carnal knowledge and suggestions for living are given. But James asks, who is wise and understanding among you? It's necessary here for us to understand the difference and discern the difference between knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. We're living in a time where there's information everywhere. 
You're just one click or one Google away to getting a question remedied or answered. We are amassing tons of information. We have diligent search mechanisms. We think, we ponder, we see, we hear, we take in information and we make conclusions about what we're seeing, hearing, applying. And some of it is navigating sometimes illegitimately our life. James is saying there is a wisdom that comes from God and there is a wisdom that comes from the world and they produce two different things. So he starts saying here, who among you is wise? And we're thinking here about what wisdom is. What is wisdom? What is knowledge? What is understanding? Knowledge is what you know about a thing, what facts about it, what's true about it. Knowledge is what you know. Know is in knowledge. It's the beginning of that word. It's what you know about a thing. Wisdom is the application of what you know. Because I know this, I'm able to do or think or do or think about this in this way because of what I know. Understanding is the relationship, the awareness of how knowledge and wisdom operate. So let me give you an example. I've had many heated discussions with my friends about this. The tomato is a fruit. A tomato is a fruit. Knowledge of that, the reality of that, tomato is actually a fruit. We have illegitimately sometimes characterized it as a vegetable, but by agricultural definition, a tomato is a fruit. Well, just because we know that, and we have a factual um, knowledge about that, I don't think it would be wisdom to put tomatoes in a fruit salad. We understand something, we know something, uh, we have an awareness about it, but what we do with that information is the wisdom of it. I know that the tomato is a fruit, but it wouldn't be very good in a fruit salad. And I don't think people would really enjoy that very much. Um, that is the wisdom and operation of a thing. How is wisdom acquired then? Uh, how do we then get to moving beyond what we know to the adherence and application of that thing in our lives or in our decision-making and then getting to the point where it's producing fruitful results? Well, Psalm 111 and 10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. All who follow his precepts gain rich understanding. His praise endures forever. So a psalmist here tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs opens the book of wisdom with that same scripture. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1 and 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So when we think about this, Wisdom is not a scary acknowledgement of God. It's not that kind of fear that comes from a horror movie where we're literally scared. It is a submission to a reverence of an awe-inspiring posture towards God. It is acknowledging the deity and the sovereignty of God as being higher than any other outlet or connection point that we are connected to and reverencing him from that place. It is the sovereign understanding, full, complete, accurate awareness 
that this is God whom you're connected to. This is God whom you're serving. Um, this is not like reading a textbook or a poetry phrase or a meme. This is God's word. This is God saying it. And there's a reverence and a reverential fear because of that. <clears throat> so James 1 and 5, which you, which you read earlier uh, in chapel, is says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So we've gone through several scriptures just now that talk about how we get wisdom. Well, we have to go to God for wisdom. So number one, wisdom is acquired through the fear of the Lord, a specific sense of respect, awe, and submission to the Lord. You need that first. You need that first. You have to esteem, elevate, enlarge what God says above and hold more dear than the other outlets, including you, including your own voice. His voice has to be louder than yours. So wisdom is first acquired through the fear of the Lord. We can then ask him for this wisdom. He will give it to us. So, you know, Proverbs 3 and 7 says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. You know, there is a way in which we can talk to ourselves, devise a plan, create a, a checklist, a to-do list, and begin to administer things in our life. This isn't all bad, but if there's no segue and no entrance for God to tell you anything above what you are telling yourself, then it is. You're not to be wise in your own eyes because wisdom doesn't come from you. It comes from God. And it comes when we have an acknowledgement of that and understanding and submission to that. And we've asked him for it. So here's a memory verse for you. I want you to commit this to memory. This is something good for you to think about. You say to yourself, well, is it just that simple, Dr. Temple? I'm just going to ask God for wisdom. And he's going to give it to me. Yes. Yes. This is how it works. And God's kingdom economy, this is how it works. We're his children and he won't withhold good gifts from us. It is his desire that we would be wise in as much that he invites us to go to him and ask for it. Wisdom in classes, wisdom in decision-making, wisdom with, should I be dating this person or seeing this girl or calling that boy? Wisdom, wisdom in our finances. You can go and ask, seek out, go invite God's wisdom into your life. So there's this scripture, and I learned this when I was in college, and it was life-changing for me. And so I offer this to you because it is the power of asking God for things, even wisdom. Matthew 7 and 7 says, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. Do you know that that scripture in Matthew 7 and 7 actually spells out ask, A-S-K? Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. This is God's infallible word. His promise guarantees supreme to you. He will not be an Indian giver. He will not revoke things. He will not do these things where he gives it to you and takes it back. He gives to us freely, liberally. Um, he wants us to have this. So Matthew 7 and 7 says, ask. Ask. It starts with ask. Seek him out. Knock on it, pursue, go diligently find, and you will get those things that you're desiring in prayer. And wisdom is one of those things that God is desiring for us to have. If we go on, it says, if uh, it go, when we go on, it says, let them show it 
by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So James begins by saying, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So we have conclusions. We have conclusions, ideas, and inaccurate estimations about what is a good life. James says, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So James is inferring here that our good life is best illustrated by good de by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. Not just good deeds, but deeds that we do that illustrate our, so our behavior, much broader than a, a, a deed that we do to benefit someone else, a, a good thing. These are things that are good, but he's saying here, a good life is illustrated by deeds done in humility that are informed by wisdom. We've ha we have ideas about what the good life is. Uh, James says, let them show it. Our understandings of the good life are sometimes informed by uh, materialism, uh, the quality of our life, the perceived quality of our life, uh, the benefits, the freedom, the advantages we have. Uh, this is a good life, a comfortable life. But James says that mm, it's informed by humility, the deeds, and that comes from wisdom, not by our vocabulary, not by our network, not by our net worth, but by the good life. Uh, the fruit of the spirit, these things that produce the evidence that we're connected to Christ in such a way that it supersedes a superficial manifestation of it. It's not a vocabulary. It's not a Jesus fish on the back of your car. It's not a I love Jesus pin that you're wearing. It is informed by deeds, behavior, our wisdom. So Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says that there's fruit that we have when we're connected to Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are some of the evidence markers in your life. Examining your life, I should see these things. And this shows us or this illustrates for those of us in Christ and those of us who are not a difference, a characterized, evidenced of I'm connected to Christ. I'm modeling these things. It's given to me almost divinely. You can't just get this fruit by deliberate will and intention. It comes from a relationship and an understanding of God by deeds done in humility. You know, humility is this concept where we have a modest or low estimation of our own importance, not our value, uh, but our importance. So this isn't to be, sometimes when we're walking in humility, it's this sort of, when we think we're walking in humility, it could look like a um, depreciating sense of self, almost low self-esteem. It's not that. I want to be careful to distinguish that. It doesn't mean that you're a floor mat and people walk over you because you have assumed no value in your life. It means I've lowered the sense of my importance relating to people that they have things to offer me and I have things to offer them no matter where I am at, no matter what walk of life I'm before. It is also the uh, understanding and awareness that other people are important too. Humility is an uh, under estimation of my importance, not my value. 
Um, and, and we have a admonishment that if we, if, if we, we don't have to fight for our value to be recognized. Um, you know, the Bible says that God exalts the humble. He watches you. He looks to see how you're responding to things, how you're treating people, not as a punisher, but just as a, a way of saying, is this person ready? Have they reached a point of maturity where they can be exalted? He does not exalt the proud. He, he brings up higher. He promotes those who can be trusted with that kind of power and acknowledgement, he exalts the humble. James goes on to say, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Don't boast about it or deny the truth. If, if, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts don't boast about it um you know we say these things and in our last chapel message we talked about the power of words but they come out sometimes when we're provoked i hear this sometimes um you know people say oh i just can't stand vivica i just can't stand it. you know well there's a bitterness there there are some things that we just shouldn't say there are some things that we should examine where did that come from how do i want to deal with that how do I want to uh, navigate a difficult relationship, a difficult situation versus saying it and, 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 and letting go uh, of the steerage of our tongue, mouth, and words uh, when we deny the truth? You have to have humility to examine ugly truths, especially about ourselves without denying them. Listen to some of these things. I've heard, I've, I hear them. Maybe you have too. Oh, I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm my own person. My followers on Instagram support this. I know how to get ahead. My gifts and talents, they work for me. I have opportunities to explore because I know how to network. I have hustled for my dreams. I have the right, I have the right grit and the right mindset. Well, these aren't necessarily bad things, but they could become a mold or a transportation of self-ambition in your life. In fact, we have to acknowledge that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. It doesn't matter about your planner, your list, your ambition, your grit, your mindset, your classes past, your, your, on the, your upward trajectory towards a degree. The Bible says clearly in John 15 and 5 that I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I'm in you, we'll be, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. We have to have that humility, that understanding, that activated wisdom to recognize where is the origin, where is the origination, where is the genesis, where is the beginning of things good operating in my life? It comes from God, not parents, not a degree. It comes from God. These people can be can be purpose pushers in your life. They can bring to pass what God has ordained for your life. They can be divinely situated in your life, but it comes from God. It comes from God. And so when we look at this, the world has a wisdom platform. The world has an understanding about wisdom. Such wisdom, James says, does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual. And look how bold and flat out this word is, demonic. It is. It, it does not come from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It is the snare of the enemy 
to infiltrate your mind with the belief that suggests that you can manipulate uh, your will and your desire apart from God. You can bring things to pass in your, in your own life. The enemy wants to get us intoxicated with the wine of indulgent self-reliance, preference, and independence. I'm doing these things because that's the highway to pride and that's the surefire way to, 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 to experience a fall in your life. James says here, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Envy and selfish ambition. Envy. It's something we don't consider much. Oh, I'm not a jealous person. I'm not jealous of anybody. Uh, do you compare inordinately? Have you came to the conclusions about someone's deservedness or worthiness of a thing, person, opportunity? Envy, you know, jealousy, the Bible lets us know. Envy and jealousy are really synonymous. Jealousy is as cruel as the grave. It causes you to secretly create the propensity to harbor hopes or uh, subversive ideas that someone would experience misfortune based on whatever type of um, reasoning you've conjured up. Envy, envy, envy. No, no, no. Sheila doesn't supposed to have that. I, this envy. I get this, or I should be that, or um, oh, they don't work very hard. They don't work as hard as me, and they seemingly get everything. Do you have any places of, in, in that in your life? It says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder in every evil practice. That's worthy of your reflective attention. It's one of those things where you have to humble yourself and examine your life. Does that exist in me? Do I do that? With what frequency? When? With who? When am I most sensitive to that? These are some questions that you need to examine. Am I, do I do that? Ugly or not? Not liking it or not? Is it present in your life? Uh, finally, James talks about the wisdom that comes from God. He mentions seven, seven different uh, um, manifestations of God's wisdom in your life. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, number one, is pure. But the wisdom, here in verse 17 here, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. It's without a motive or a hidden agenda. It's see-through. You can, it's, it's, it's transparent. First of all, it's pure. It's pure. It's peace-loving, no war, no contention, no, no struggle, no back and forth here. It's free from disturbance. It's not conjuring up trouble. It's peace-loving. It's considerate, he says, thoughtful, estimating outcomes, examining the end result. It's thoughtful. It's deliberate. It's submissive. It's yielded. It's obedient to God's lead his timing, his voice, it's like a train. How does a train move? It moves because it is connected to the tracks. It cannot go ahead of the tracks. It cannot go behind it once it's in motion. It is connected to the specific direction, the specific speed. We're called to be that submissive, yielded, guided, steered by God. It's full of mercy and good fruit. We talked about this and here, self-control, mercy, withholding rightful punishment. It's full of mercy and good fruit. 
It's impartial and sincere. It's without a bias. It's sincere. You know, and I wish I had more time. I would tell you more about this sincerity that's required. It's impartial and it's sincere. You know, sincere is a Latin word meaning without cracks. It's without cracks. In ancient marketplaces, when they would go and exchange pottery, someone might hold up the thing they're trying to buy and examine it and ask the seller, is this sincere? Does it have any cracks, any places of damage, any places that can look, is it sincere? Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. You know, James says, if you do this, God's precious nickname for you is a peacemaker. You sow in peace and you reap a harvest of righteousness. So we've examined James chapter three, verses 13 through 18. James is offering a biblical blueprint here. It's such a worthy one, a spiritual strategy set to avoid the snares of the adversary with practical insight into God's wisdom to do so. It is a passage that I'm um, encouraging you to revisit again in the upcoming days. Look at your notes. Begin to examine what areas of wisdom do I lack? Uh, when I think about God's wisdom and the wisdom of the world, which one is more dominant in my life? Why is that? Uh, what, what have I been doing? You, you need to look at these things. Um, it's holding the mirror of God's word up to your life and examining the reflection of the word. So I encourage you, Trinity Western, uh, to be a doer of the word. We'll speak soon. Thanks for listening. We hope to worship together with you soon at our next broadcast online at livechapel.twu.ca every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 11 a.m. You can also stay connected with us by following at TWU Chapel and at TWU Student Ministries. Much love. Thank you.